Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. Podcasts. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commanders beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take command podcast from Odyssey Sports. What's up? What's happening? I'm Craig Hoffman. He is Logan Paulson, and we got a stacked show for you today. Not only talking about the Commanders getting ready for their first game after the bye with the Rams, uh, our usual Friday show, although we will spend some time on some other things, including a visit from ESPN's Matt Miller. Uh, Their lead draft analyst will join us at the end of the show, about 20-ish minutes from right now. So we are very much looking forward to that. And unlike uh, often when we do these interviews, Logan, we're taping this in order, so I have no idea how it went because it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, so we, we have to stay tuned as well to figure out how the yes. interview went. Yes, uh, we have to do the tuning, if you will. I've had Matt on before, though. He's fantastic, super insightful, often does have some some scouting opinions that are different than other guys, um, which I think makes for interesting discussion, but a guy that's put in a lot of work, and um, he built up his own like scouting profile and, and scouting stuff uh, over the years, starting independently, eventually for The Athletic and, and Bleacher Report, I think, back in the day, and then has worked his way up to ESPN. So, um, so I, have a, I have a nerdy cool. question for yeah. you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Is he scouting or is he talent evaluating? Because I made this mistake of talking to a scout Ooh. about this, and I said, oh, I'm doing a little bit of scouting. He's like, are you? And we kind of got into the, the differences between scouting and talent evaluation. What's your What's your difference? So scouting for me is like the like the really like gritty stuff that they do, like the personality stuff that they do where they go mm. to the colleges and they're not watching film necessarily, but you're talking to the trainer, you're talking to the coach. It's almost like reporting their, versus correct, watching. Correct. That's exactly right. And so I think there is a distinction in that. And like there are services that do that. They go around, they talk to right. people. And those people, I would, you said he's got some different opinions, but sometimes those different opinions come from the fact that they've talked to, you know, they've, they've gone and talked to schools already about some of these kids. So as opposed to just talent evaluating where you're just saying, oh, I like this player. It's the same thing that I ran into last year with like Dewan Jones, for example, like on the film, on the film, extremely talented first round talent. And you're like befuddled and bamboozled as to why he's fallen to the fourth round. But then the scout is the guy that would say, oh, you know, he didn't do this at the pro day. He didn't do this. And this rubs some people the wrong way and blah, 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 blah. So there's a little bit of distinction there. Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. Um, to be honest, I don't know. I'm guessing much more talent evaluation. Most people but do. He's been around, you know, doing this for a decade. I'm sure he's got some, he's got connections all over. and Inside baseball. Know, yeah, you do some of the, the scouting as well. So we'll have to ask him. Uh, yeah. we'll, we'll do that coming up. 
uh, in about 18 minutes from now. <laughs> um, let's start, though, uh, with kind of looking ahead to this weekend by putting a bow on Jamin Davis's season. Um, a guy that they're going to miss this weekend. The Rams do run the football very well, and obviously Jamin has been a good run stopper for this team. But, Logan, former first-round pick, and I think obviously his first year was incredibly disappointing. He's progressively gotten better. But as we sit here entering a critical offseason for Jamin, um, where they'll have to decide whether to pick up his fifth-year option, which they almost certainly, the new regime, will not. Um, but what what actually is Jamin Davis as a football player? And the reason we're asking this, if people have missed this or, or earlier in the week, is Jamin picked up a shoulder injury last week. He's on IR. His season is over. But but through three years of, of Jamin Davis, like what do we think he's actually turned into, aside from the initial expectations of being a first-rounder? Yeah, I mean, I think... I think Jamin Davis is a pretty good football player. You know, he's a guy that I enjoy watching now. And there was a period of time where I didn't enjoy watching him. I didn't think he was doing a good job. I thought he looked out of place. I thought all the inexperience that people had kind of warned about, the scouts had warned about, um, was was very at the forefront of his first year in the NFL. And then now, like when you watch him, I see a guy who's instinctive, who's confident, who's very, very physical, which I love at the linebacker position, obviously. I think there's some times where you still see some of his – like kind of his greenness, his rawness in coverage. I think he's physically capable of doing it. I think the interception he had when he's covering B. John Robinson against Atlanta is a perfect example. You see him match up with receivers. You're like, wow, like that's the highs are very, very high. But I think we're all familiar with some of the struggles that he's had in coverage, you know, and some of the, and, and some of that is the situations they've put him in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like from what I understand, you know, he he's kind of got the final shoulder injury now, but he had, I guess he's kind of been dealing with a version of that the whole year. You know, what grade is it? How bad was it? I don't know. But this was the thing that kind of put him over the edge. So we didn't even get to see like a healthy Jamin. And I think I was super excited, honestly, to watch him these last four games of the season because I thought it's going to be simplified. He's going to play fast. We saw flashes of some like amazing stuff. I was watching some clips with London Fletcher and London's like, man, this is amazing that he's doing this and I was like you know I think so too and so I thought well this is great simplified Cody's back when Cody's back he plays better so I just kind of I'm disappointed for Jamin I think like you know he'd had a pretty solid year and you know ups and downs but I'd say he was one of the more consistent players on the defense in terms of production you know ton of tackles physical play and um and I was I thought this is the time where the defense simplifies he's going to be able to play as fast as humanly possible and you're going to get to see this guy who's this tremendous athlete kind of actualize himself and, and kind of honestly quite um you know execute the the development we saw the last four games of last season i thought we were going to get something very similar that was going to take him from like that you know 70 percent range on the pff grade and bump him into that 75 78 which is quite frankly one of the better guys at the position so i i think we're obviously i'm very high on jamin after this year i think he's a good football player and i you know you said that the new staff would probably not renew the fifth year and i understand why but I think he could have made a case for himself in these last four games to say, you know, I am kind of a difference maker at the position. And unfortunately, he's not going to get that opportunity. Hey, everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Yeah, I think that the bigger part on the fifth-year option is like the finances of linebacker. Sure. Like, I agree with everything you said. I also don't know that I'd re-sign him after next year, depending on how right. well he plays, because like you just go draft another guy. Um, and that's kind of the weird thing is like I feel like he's a victim of circumstance in some way where they drafted this guy that was super green uh, at a position where it's kind of like running. It's, it's the running back of the defense, if you yeah. will. Um, especially his position at will, and they tried to make him a mic. Um, but it's like they're kind of highly replaceable um, in a lot of ways. And we're for highly replaceable positions, you don't want to pay a ton of money because it's easy to find someone else to do a pretty darn good job. And I, I think because of that um, and because of like how it started, he's actually underrated. Um, yeah. and, and I think that people don't realize how good he is. I also think that he is, you're talking about a victim of circumstance, when I think of, you know, I've talked about Emmanuel Forbes and um, and Quan Martin, yeah, DBs drafted in the first and second round and a DBs coach who got fired 11 games into the season or 12 games into the season, whatever it was, in this super complex defense with all these rules and it just doesn't set guys up for success, um, which is why the D coordinator is, is no longer here. And I think Jamin is that times three years where you take a guy that if he goes to a system where he's got way more clarity and he's surrounded by better players um, in, in certain spots, then he, and more consistency even, which is not Cole Holcomb's fault that Cole got hurt or Cody Barton's fault that he got hurt. Um, or, you know, I guess, you know, some blame for Cody for not learning the defense faster, but it's hard. And like, that's yeah. the point. It was like, it's hard. Um, the system. And so long winding way to say, I think Jamin as a talent is tremendous. I think now that he's got a ton of experience, you're seeing some of that talent really rise more consistently. And I think some of the areas where he struggled are extremely predictable and it, it should have been on a coaching staff to help prevent some of those from happening. And whether it's, Hey, okay. He struggles with a running back when he's one-on-one -on, -one on the outside. Okay. Well then, you know, stick a safety out there. Like there, there are other ways personnel wise, and you might have to use a different personnel grouping. Um, but there are other ways to, to, assign those coverage responsibilities within a defense that keeps Jamin Davis from being exposed for not being able to cover the world's best athletes in endless amounts of space. Hmm. Um, and so I, I think that Jamin is a very good player for the position. Uh, maybe very good, strong. He's a, he's a good, and I think the lot, these last four games I agree with you could have had a chance to prove to be very good. And I'm pretty fascinated to see what new system comes defensively yeah. because um, he could have a monster year next year or he could, you know, if it's if it's something that's complicated and complex and asks a lot of the same stuff, then they'll probably very easily move on from him after next year. Yeah, I agree. And I think you said something there that I agree with and that linebackers are a, a position of low value. But if you look at the analytics, it's really interesting, actually. Like, that is true for most of the positions. But when you say, like, uh, positions of value, the PFF just put an article out about this. It's like tackle, pass rusher, uh, outside of quarterback, obviously. And it's, yeah. it's like linebacker ahead of receiver. And I think what the mm. thing is there is if you have an elite linebacker, like you're talking Luke Keekley, Ray Lewis, you know, one of these, yeah. these kind of generations. Yeah, yeah, perfect example. It elevates the defense in a way that nobody else can because you're fitting runs, you're in coverage. And I'm not, and I'm, I think we both agree that he was not anywhere near that level right now. But I think there was an opportunity to see a guy who could show flashes of that going into next season over these last four games. So, as much as I agree with you, yeah. Like if the if average linebacker play is a dime a dozen, that's totally devalued. But if there's a potential that a guy can be something really special, then I think you got to invest there. And I think again, this is all hypothetical. I think maybe he could have shown that 
which would have been awesome for the team and the organization. But obviously, the injury is going to sidetrack that, and it's going to make next year much more complicated for him. For sure. Um, you know, elite player in any position pretty much is going to elevate. Running back is kind of the weird exception to that. But, like, if you yeah. have a super elite guy like a Fred Warner level, um, that's going to that's gonna change the equation on, you know, what it means there. Um, I think that's also why you look at, like, what Detroit did, taking Jack Campbell a lot higher mm, last year in yeah. the draft than a lot of people. It's like, well, if you think he's going to be elite, then it's worth it. The, the right. question is, like, how quickly can you make that investment pay off? And I think that was the gripe with the initial drafting of Jamin however many years ago it was uh, at this point um, that you knew it wasn't going to happen instantly. And if it happens in year four and then you got to pay him, it's not like those, right. those years counted. Uh, you, right. you had three years of, and then obviously it wasn't a priority for them to develop him because they're like, Oh, we're trying to win games. Jack explicitly told me that when I asked him earlier this year. Um, and obviously that hasn't gone great this year. <laughs>